I just, again, like felt so much pressure, not only to be a really good swimmer, but also to be a really good person. And like people were labeling me as like Canada's sweetheart and things like that. Hello and welcome back to episode 11 of Detours. I am your host, digital editor of Glory Sports, David Stahl, and alongside me is producer Ben. Ben, we just finished recording our interview with the most decorated Olympian in Canadian history, Penny Alexiak. One of my favorite conversations so far. And what I will say too, when you walked in the office this morning, you would listen to it over the weekend. We wanted to do... Again, to intro the people into a little inside baseball, little detour of our own with the podcast, we want to do an intro that could sort of give our live reaction to the interview, sort of re- reflect on the, the guests themselves. So we re-listened to the interview over the weekend, and you came in, and you said, wow, it's crazy how young Penny is, right? And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, she's my age, 25, 26, and... Again, maybe maybe this reflects poorly on my research skills, but I had no idea how old she was. Again, this is someone who's gone to the Olympics, has racked up, again, more medals than anyone else in our nation's history. And so I said, yeah, yeah, she's super young. How old is she again? She's 22 <laughs> years old. Yeah. 22 years old. Yep. Insane. I The only reason I thought she was my age is because... I knew how much like that she was looking towards a world record. Like she has such lofty athletic goals. I thought, yeah. okay, she's still gonna have gas in the tank. But from speaking to her, I thought this is a 27, 28 year old. Yep. It's insane. And you weren't with the team yet, but a few years ago we actually featured her on the cover of our print magazine for our our sister brand, Bay Street Bull, which is a business finance publication. And you've been on set for two of our digital covers now, our Kia Nurse cover that came out in March and an upcoming cover that, that we won't release yet that you were on set for. And if you're an introverted or slightly shy person, like that, it's a lot. It's not the place for you. <laughs> it's not the place for you. There are a lot of cameras going around. Yeah. A lot of extremely sort of audacious, gaudy outfits. You're, we dressed Penny up in, in Gucci or Versace, like these high and outfits a million cameras on her and she handled it so so well but in the moment we remember thinking wow that's it's just it's a lot for one person to balance throughout the day (laughs) i put it through a different filter now thinking (laughs) oh yeah she was how old was she then i probably 19 yeah Uh, yeah that's crazy insane so you fast forward a few years but again i think the the great result of her being someone who's again not just in front of the camera all the time but under a more general public spotlight or having to meet young kids who look up to her is you mature in an incubator so so much faster than the average person and you hear her talking about and what i loved about this episode is there's such an emphasis from her on mental and physical wellness yes and a maturity in that outlook of you know sometimes I just have to pause life and prioritize that. That's not something that you get typically from a young athlete. Yeah, you don't get that kind of self-awareness, mm-hmm. that knowledge of your own body that young. Yeah. But you, you're, you're absolutely right when you say, when you're 16 going to Rio, winning medals, first of all, that's just crazy. <laughs> and second of all, you're right, that process of 
going into your prime even of mm. in the prime of that that includes everything right right that includes well-being that includes athletic ability mm. when you're heading into your prime and you're only 20 or 22 years old yeah that means your future is extremely bright yeah and to already like you said to have the record as the most decorated Canadian Olympian yeah at 22 it's a great tagline like I as a fellow 22 year old <laughs> it's devastating it doesn't, it's, it's fairly devastating <laughs> yeah, to say yeah. the least oh <laughs> uh, you could you might be uh the most decorated Canada's most decorated podcast producer by the end of the series though we will hey <laughs> we'll build up to that if I can be the most decorated 22 year old anything then I know I've it's done a good well. place to it's start. It's a good place to start. But no, I think it's neat. Through our conversation, obviously, we know she has the physical attributes to be a, a champion. But now you put that together with this mental maturity that she has, this mental emotional maturity. You know, okay, that world record that she that she touches on that she wants, that is in her sights headed towards Paris 2024. So we hope you enjoy the conversation. She's so, so insightful. So mature, such a professional, and insanely humble, again, for having the moniker of being the most decorated Olympian in Canadian history. So if you enjoyed this conversation, we urge you to give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and enjoy our interview with Penny Alexiak. The most decorated Olympian, Penny Alexiak. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm a little sick, but... Otherwise, I'm doing good. I have my tea here, so I'm ready. <laughs> okay, amazing. Hopefully, we can grind through it. I feel like everyone's been coming down with it recently. I know, I know, but hopefully, I'll get over it soon. Now, I mentioned just when we hopped on the call, I think many, many people are going to be aware of who you are, how you've represented Canada, what you've done for the sport of swimming. But maybe for those who aren't familiar, I like to start at the beginning and kind of give people a baseline. Could you maybe offer some insight as to how you first got involved with swimming? Yeah. um, I mean, honestly, I can't give a crazy amount of insight because I don't really remember a lot from when I first started swimming I remember like I used to do dance all the time and I was always in different sports and everything growing up and then um I don't know how I came down with the decision that I wanted to start swimming but I remember like telling my parents that's what I wanted to do and um they're pretty quick on like trying to find a really good club for me to train at trying to find like a good coach and good equipment and everything for me. Um, they're really supportive of like everything I want to do. So I tried out for a few clubs. Um, I didn't make three of the four I tried out for, I think, just cause like, I didn't really know how to swim that well when I was like nine or 10. Um, and then uh, I just kind of started from there and it was like pretty fun for me to progress really quickly and like see how fast I could get. And um, I mean, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> And you mentioned quick progression. I'm wondering if there was a point where you, like a, a specific point you might be able to remember where you went, oh, yeah, okay, I'm pretty exceptional at this or I'm progressing faster than everyone else. Was there a point where you're like, okay, this might be my thing? Uh, Literally standing on the podium, like getting a gold medal I was like oh okay I'm like not too bad at this actually (laughs) um I'm like being so honest I think growing up for me I never really had the dream of going to the Olympics like I remember watching the Olympics in 2012 with my mom 
but I was never like I never really had that dream to go but um I always knew I wanted to be the fastest in the world like that was my whole thing um so then when I made the Olympic team when I was 15 my mom I remember told me she was like oh like that doesn't mean you're going because you're really young it's just a nomination and then they took me on the team and um literally at the Olympics in 2016 was when I was like oh this is kind of cool like I guess I'm pretty good at this and then afterwards when I started getting presented with different like sponsorship sponsorship opportunities and different crazy things um that was kind of when I was like oh, okay I guess I could make a career out of this which is pretty cool that's so cool and it's hilarious because Andre de Grasse has like such a similar explanation it's like yeah I guess yeah. it was yeah and it's so <laughs> funny because you're so in the moment I'm sure it's difficult to take a large step back you know, oh my god I went from you know not making three of the four clubs and now it's that yeah. steady progression until all of a sudden boom you're there you mentioned something about your mom that I think is so interesting where obviously your parents, you mentioned were so, so supportive, but then she also had that really rational grounding approach. It's sort of that balance of saying, look, you know, this is a great step, but don't rush ahead and say, okay, I'm, I'm an Olympian. I'm going to be on the podium. I've yeah. got that world record in the bag. Was that sort of like always a really deliberate balance for them to, to help keep you grounded as an athlete? Um, yeah, I think growing up, just my parents always instilled in us that you have to work to get where you want to be. Like nothing was ever going to come easy for us at any point. We were always grinding and everything like that, even with school, um, with everything outside of school. And my parents always made sure that if we were doing something, it was always 100% effort. They would never, ever, 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 ever. The last thing they would let us do is go into something and be like, oh, I kind of just want to try it and see. They'd be like, no, like you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. That's pretty much the decision. Um, and I think having parents who also just made sure to not they they weren't always telling me like, oh, my gosh, you're the best. Yeah, you're you're going to be the next best thing and all this. You know, they always would give me my flowers where they were due and they would really instill that confidence in me of like you can be if you want to work towards that if you want to get there but they never limited me in the sense of like oh yeah like you're so good you're fine you know because then I feel like I would be totally okay with being like average and for me that's something that's like terrifying now is being average and I just want to always like be raising the bar and see what I can do better pretty much every day with like everything I'm doing. Mm, and there's so much there that I want to draw from. I'm curious first, before I, I dive into mm. what you touched on just at the end there, <laughs> did, did your parents have an athletic background? Like what, what was sort of their baseline for helping to sort of support someone who had abilities such as yourself? Um, my dad did so many sports growing up. Like he was in basketball and rugby and everything. Um, and he played like in university. Um, so he kind of, he, knows athletics pretty well and my mom did swimming growing up which I didn't really know until I actually started swimming and she was on like track to be on like the national team and everything but um her career she like ended up doing other things um but I think having my brother my sister like 
six to eight years before me was really helpful in like my progression because um, they really like did everything they could for my brother to be able to pursue hockey professionally. And um, I think they kind of drew some of that because with hockey, I feel like it's very much a team sport where you kind of get placed on a team and you're put with a trainer and you're put with a coach. Whereas like with swimming, you kind of have to find those avenues and find good trainers, find good coaches yourself. And I, so I think just having my brother there, he introduced me to a few really good trainers and it kind of gave us an outlook on what I want in a coach and like what kind of support I need around me. And then, I mean, even with my sister with rowing, my parents were also helping her a lot with everything there. So I think they, they kind of just really submerged themselves in the like professional athletic world and I'm like forever grateful for that because I've learned so much from things that they've been like researching my whole life. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. And and it's kind of nice to have that balance in our interviews too, because we've interviewed a lot of athletes where, you know, it tends to be passed down from a biological standpoint, obviously, but also from yeah. a mentality standpoint of, okay, I'm a pro athlete. This is the blueprint. It's also nice to yeah. know that, you know, it just comes down to supporting your kid ultimately. Like that's the important baseline yeah. to follow. To touch on, I love that statement of, you know, your biggest fear is and has always been sort of being <laughs> average. The tough part is average is a relative term, right? It's relative to who you're comparing yourself to. And I'm yeah. sure you're comparing yourself to yourself. The Again, someone who's racked up a lot of podium finishes in the Olympics. So that bar gets a lot tougher to surpass average i'm wondering has the because you have so much career left and you've accomplished so much <laughs> yeah. is that ever a difficult consideration of look you mentioned it world record is where your mind is i'm sure is it at all daunting to look at your career and go okay i've got a lot of time left what what next um i don't think it's daunting i think it's it's more exciting for me i think uh for a long time, especially right after my first Olympics, I was so terrified of like the weight that like titles that I had held over me and like going up to races and hearing them announce me as like Olympic champion in the 100 free, you know, that always carried so much weight and put so much pressure on me. But I think over the last few years, especially, I've just learned like kind of how cool that is and how I just want to appreciate the moment and live in the moment and enjoy what I'm doing. And I think as much as I'm enjoying it, that's like kind of as well as I'm going to do. So I just want to be making the most of everything and um, moving forward with just like a happiness in what I'm doing and loving what I'm doing. Cause I think at the end of the day, that's going to make me so much better than I could be if I was just kind of doing it to get titles and medals and everything. A hundred percent. I love, I love that mentality. And I think it's a super evolved one. And we've seen the emphasis on mental health and mental wellness mm -hmm. really being emphasized in sports, especially with really strong women athletes like Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, mm -hmm. et cetera. I'm wondering how your relationship, you just touched on it there with mental health and maintaining your mental wellness has evolved throughout your career it's definitely evolved a lot over the last while I think um after 2016 I there's like an Olympic high you get a lot of people talk about it I feel like 
where you are on top of the world and then you come back to like reality pretty much and you're not swimming as fast you're not racing as fast and you're not going to as big meets or anything so you kind of get this like total downfall where you just feel horrible after the olympics for a little bit and i had it for a few years because i just again like felt so much pressure not only to be a really good swimmer but also to be a really good person and like people were labeling me as like canada's sweetheart and things like that and that was kind of terrifying for me because i mean i i'm such like a i don't know i just i'm i'm like an open book i'll like talk to people about anything i'm like I kind of just do my own thing all the time. And um, for me, it was just so terrifying to always have to be like cautious of like what I'm saying, what I'm doing and like walking around, someone might know me. So I would need to act a certain way so that I can kind of play into like whatever way that they see me. Um, and so I think that on top of also wanting to represent Canada at the highest level at like 16, 17 years old, and wanting to always be winning everything I was doing was just a lot for me to deal with growing up. And especially like you're also in high school, you know what I mean? There's so many different factors to, the, to what I was doing. And I was always kind of just like pushing through it and being like, no, no, I'm fine. Like I'm sad, but like, I'll get over it. And then the last few years, especially when the pandemic hit, I was like, I have nothing else to do right now other than take care of myself. So I kind of just put, my like mental health and my mental performance to like the forefront of everything and um I really got a good support team around me that I'm like forever grateful for and um I think I've just really learned how to like be myself and embrace what I'm doing and not put my sport at the forefront of everything I'm doing and all the decisions I'm making so um, now I just feel like I know myself so well that I would never like compromise my well-being for like anyone or anything. So I'm just kind of like trying to enjoy what I'm doing all the time. <laughs> it's so wild. I'd never heard of sort of that postpartum that athletes have after the Olympics, but it makes so much sense. I mean, you're building yeah. up to something for four years, then you're on the biggest stage. And then it's another four years until you quite hit that high. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's other meets, there's championships. But I think particularly, I would imagine it was hard during COVID as well, because, you know, you're eyeing down this date of, oh, my God, I'm going to be back in on that stage, have the opportunity to represent again. And then it gets pushed away and your substitute yeah. for it is like this complete isolation. I'm, I'm sure it was incredibly difficult. I'm wondering, maybe... For, because I think obviously mental wellness, it goes beyond just something that athletes are practicing. This is something that all of our listeners can take something from. I'm wondering if there are any like objective practices that you do, whether it's like journaling, obviously you say you have a support system, meditation, going for a walk, whatever mm -hmm. those little wellness checks might be. What are some of the things you may have adopted? I think I have a super extensive list because I know myself so well now that like I know when I'm about to hit a wall and like I know how I kind of start acting before I hit that wall so I kind of then I start implementing everything I know that's going to kind of take me back and put me back on track um but I mean for me like therapy huge huge game changer I've worked with like a bunch of different therapists and I think honestly sometimes just like switching it up is really helpful because just getting that second opinion from someone else is crazy and you can learn so much more um 
but I think that has been really big for me. I've gotten really into journaling. I love journaling. I'm like pretty bad at it, but like, I'll just write about my day. And I think it helps me like move on from that day and like go on to my next one with new intentions, which I really like. Um, I'm also really, really big on just nutrition. I think your nutrition can affect your like mood and your well-being so much. And I find when I'm eating like pretty healthy and like not necessarily healthy because I'll throw in unhealthy things here and there, but generally just like making food for myself that makes me feel good is like so big for me because it just, it makes me feel good that I'm eating well, but it also just like actually helps my body with like recovery and training and everything like that. So I think those are kind of my major ones. And then little ones are just like self-care and just taking care of myself, listening to my body. And if I need a minute, I talk to my coach, I'll figure something out, you know? So I just, I listen to myself more than anything. Mm, I think that's so important. Like all of those elements. And of course, when you list them out, maybe it sounds like a lot to a listener, like a yeah. lot of items to check off the list, but it really does become like an automatic lifestyle, right? Of like, okay, and part of it is knowing yourself like, okay, I need some sun or okay, I'm low on energy. Yeah. Or I woke up feeling some sort of way. I need to put good fuel in my body, whatever it mm. is. And again, it can be peppered with a delicious meal or a walk that you enjoy. Yeah. But it's like that knowing oneself is so crucial. I think I'm sure I'm speaking for you here. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure that helps a but lot in also being a public figure because that's such a like two pronged <laughs> thing that you have to deal with right you mentioned that before that okay you're balancing athletic performance and also these expectations that people have of you and of course you're beloved but every interview <laughs> that you go into it's guys like me saying oh canada's most decorated olympian and there's this sort of big stamp and expectation placed on you i'm wondering because now you you do a lot of these great speaking panels and you are such a community oriented person. I'm wondering if the process of being a public figure has now become a lot more comfortable for you. Uh, I guess so. I mean, I don't really see myself as a public figure. It's kind of weird. I think it's kind of just like it's become a normal thing to me now when people are like, oh, my gosh, you're Penny Alexiak. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Do you want a photo or yeah. do you want to just chat you know like I'm pretty like used to it all now I think because I started getting kind of recognized when I was like 16 so now it's kind of second nature for me I'm more than happy to like stand and talk to people I I my biggest thing that I hate is when people come up to me and they think they're like bothering me and I'm just like no like let's have a conversation you if you want to chat we can chat you know and I have time for everyone I think now I'm so much more myself than I used to be. Like I'll be totally open with people if they're asking about something that they're struggling with that I feel I can relate to. I'm going to open up to them and tell them about my experience with um, kind of the same situation. But I don't know. I don't see myself as a public figure. I just kind of am doing what I'm doing. And I, I try to be a really like welcoming and open person. I want to be like a safe space for people. That's like my number one oh, thing. That. So I, I just want people to feel like they can come up to me and chat with me and um, just like be open and have a conversation. And if they feel they can learn something from me, then that's really cool too. 
I love that. There's the PSA for all the listeners. If you see <laughs> Penny like Sayak roaming around Toronto or Canada, go up and yeah. say hi. She's she's not <laughs> yeah. offended. I love that. No. Um, and we're talking about comfortability on sort of the the public social side of things, but also part of being an endurance athlete. Really, it's sort of that mantra that a lot of runners use, and I'm sure it's the same for swimming: is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, do you, I don't know, is there truth to that? What's the process like in, in becoming comfortable in that uncomfortability? Um, I think I definitely have always believed that like my, and my dad used to always say this, that like nothing good ever comes from being comfortable. So mm. I think there's a lot of truth to that in the sense of you need to learn how to push your boundaries and be flexible with whatever you need to be you know like I always try and put something first all the time with everything where if my coach needs me to come in for an extra session I'm able to do that you know and just kind of being able to put myself in different scenarios especially in training where I'm uncomfortable because when I'm in a race I'm not trying to be in this like you know just comfortable situation I'm trying to always push my boundaries and see how far I can push myself and if I can max myself out all the time so I think there is a lot of truth to like just being uncomfortable and putting yourselves in those situations. But at the same time, I also think there's so much you can learn from also being able to listen yourself to yourself and like put yourself first when you could be pushing yourself too hard because I've heard so many times of people and it even happened to me when I came back from my knee injury I pretty much was off for like six months and then came back in January of this year. And I was like, okay, nine sessions a week. Let's just get back into it. And then I got a random shoulder injury that I'm now recovering from. And yeah. it's just like things like that can pop up. And I've heard my friend before, same thing happened. She like broke her rib, just like training. Um, um, just cause you can't, you can't push yourself past your limits all the time, but I think you just have to learn how to be able to get there an easier way into being able to embrace the uncomfortable moments with caution. <laughs> and it's yeah. such a balancing act. I feel like for endurance athletes specifically too, because you're sort of trained to think, okay, for, you know, if you put in the grueling hours or this X amount of time of work, oh, it's a very simple equation. It on the other end is going to be progress. But again, it is a balance of <laughs> listening to your body and your mind and taking a step back and, and slowing down when you when you've been off for six months and want to dive right yeah. back into to heavy, heavy sessions. I think that's a good example of when maybe you didn't quite strike that balance. Do you have an example of a meet or a particular um race? you go oh that was in preparation or in the execution of the race where i really struck that balance of training properly was there a time where you thought wow i really kind of like hit the nail on the head leading up um i think i like specialize in being able to like three four months out from a major meet like lock in and just put in everything you know what i mean and then it will tend to work out for me. So I've kind of mastered that in the sense of, of like, I know what kind of work I need to put in to be able to get the results I want. Um, however, I think after 2021 um, 
And I mean, I actually had a pretty good, good world's meet last year, so I'm not too mad about it, but um, I think after 2021, I've really just been focusing on how I can line up everything on a more consistent basis. So as much as I'm so good at being able to put three, four months aside and get the result I want out of it, I want to see how good I could be if I'm putting a year and a half aside, 18 months aside for the Olympics or something like that, where I really want to reach the goals and things that might seem unrealistic, but I want to be able to obtain those unrealistic goals. And I think the way to do it is going to be able to, to see if I'm able to like put aside that 18 months and get my nutrition together, get my mental health and everything kind of set and then be able to just put in the work and uh, get it done. Hopefully. <laughs> Are there any other like professional swimmers or future Olympians, current Olympians listening? Like I feel like they should be kind of quaking in their boots a little bit just because it's so like you've achieved so much and there's this still this dedication to like tweaking the process a little bit finding a better balance like just honing it like that's someone who yeah. again is chasing a world record for sure <laughs> i can be a little bit of a nerd when it comes to like learning the technical aspects from different athletes yeah. so I'm, I'm curious i'm sure there are other listeners who are the same way um, I'm curious if you could give us maybe a little bit of a rundown of like what a week of training looks like. Um, maybe when you're in the heat of preparing for something like the Olympics, let's say you're two months yeah. out. Um, our training is, I think swimming is honestly a pretty intense training schedule. So we train nine sessions a week, like nine swim sessions. Um, so we'll do two sessions Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and one swim session on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But then um, within all of that, we also do three weight sessions a week, usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then we do circuits, like either medicine ball circuit or just a core circuit that's like 30 minutes long or a Swiss ball circuit. Um, just any type of like 30 minute, 40 minute circuit, we'll usually do that. Um, on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday as well. And then oh on top God. of that, I do kind of outside of it, I'll do my own little Pilates sessions just for like stretching and movement and to work those like deeper neurological muscles. So I'll do a Pilates session twice a week. Um, and then, I don't know, sometimes I'll my friends want to work out. So I'll like guest pass my friend to the gym and we'll go and do like a 30 minute walk or something like that. Um, so I'm pretty much always working out, but yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's insane. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. So I'm wondering what the recovery strategies are because I mean, it's not even in the same universe, but I love distance running. Like that's what oh. like I'm crazy about it, obviously on an absurdly amateur level. But when we're like oh. looking towards long distances, it's just soreness all the time. And so it's kind of like yeah. that balance between, okay, like, like you mentioned, okay, is this a good soreness or is this something that's going to lead to a micro fracture or something in that realm? Yeah. I'm wondering what your recovery process is because you, your body must just be drained all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It honestly is. And I think I've mastered recovery. I'm pretty good at it now. Um, I also just know my body really well to where at the beginning of the season, I usually won't get massages or treatments or anything just because I feel like my body needs that 
soreness to build my muscle quicker and everything. Um, just to be able to like get back into training. I feel like soreness can sometimes be a really good thing. Um, but now when I'm in the middle of the season, I think nutrition is like number one thing for recovery, making sure that you can like get something in right after a session or something good beforehand that's going to kind of help with lactic acid. I think supplements are a big thing for me. I'm really big on like, I take like mushroom supplements that are really good. And I take a lot of like vitamin D. I take magnesium all the time. I take a lot of supplements just because I find supplements can really boost that recovery more than you think it can. Um, and then on top of that, just um, I love like saunas and cold plunges. I always am doing that all the time in Toronto. There's a really good place. And then I also do like Norma Tech, which is like leg kind of compression that helps a lot with my recovery of my legs. Um, I have like an infrared PMF mat, which is like crystals and stuff like that on it that I love that I'll just lay on. Um, I literally feel like a human, like it's like a charging pad for a human. I love it. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I love recovery. It's kind of one of my favorite parts. We also have two massages a week at the center. We're really lucky. So, um, they really also instill recovery in us pretty good. So we're, we're all set up. Oh my God. I love that. It's such a, it's such a process though. You get it down to a science. And, and again, that's such yeah. a intimate part of like knowing yourself, both like who you are as a person, but also like having a really intimate relationship with your body to kind of like yeah. zoom in micro level. Then I'm curious what the process is, let's say half an hour before a big race. Like what is Penny doing before? Is there tunes going? Are you talking around anyone? Are you isolating yourself? Um, 30 minutes before a race, I'm pretty like, I, I just like to make sure I'm in a really good mood before I go race. So ideally I want to be like chatting with people. Um, I'm usually just trying to like roll my body out make sure that I'm feeling loose, feeling warm, especially because like I'm a sprinter. So I don't really have time to warm up when I dive in. It's kind of you dive in and you have to get going. So we we're like equipped with a whole like heating vest and everything like that. I usually roll out. I get some good music going that's going to put me in a good mood. And I like to chat to people. I think some people like to be isolated and I can definitely be annoying because I'm like, hey, like, talk to me, please. Like <laughs> I need this. Um, but yeah, I just try and put myself in the best mood I can. Or if not, I just will get really intense and I'll put like people screaming at me in my, not people, but like rappers screaming at me in my ears. <laughs> um, just to like get myself in like a intense, like locked in mood. But overall, I just like to have a good time. Gotcha. So are those like sort of opposing moods? Like sometimes you play, you play it by whatever the day offers, like, sometimes because a good mood to me and chatting with people that's a bit more of a chipper atmosphere do you kind of play it by however you're feeling versus okay i need some whether it's david goggins screaming at me or whatever <laughs> it is or oh, i'm gonna chat with a childhood friend um no i think i'm usually just like pretty chatty when it comes to racing and i just i like i want to be in a good mood and i want the people around me to be in a good mood because like at the end of the day those are the people that I'm competing against and they're the ones that are going to push me to be better. So if we're all in a good mood, we're all hopping into the pool, feeling good about it, then we're all probably going to swim pretty fast. Um, 
and it's just it's just fun to like be having a good time with the people you're competing against and wanting to support them them wanting to support you I think that as well is such a big thing for me is I always especially in Canada like I want to feel like I'm friends with everyone I'm racing with everyone I'm racing against because when we're on relays together I want us to be racing for each other I don't want to be racing just to get a medal because I want it you know what I mean and yeah. it just makes the whole process a lot more fun and obviously on the relay front like that's a element where you guys have found so much success as well sort of looking ahead then um and playing off that i'm wondering and we've alluded to it before i know i'm i think i know what one of the the goals is but what are you looking ahead towards what's left on your career bucket list as we kind of look towards paris 2024 and you go okay this is what i want to check off um i think I've checked off a lot of what I've ever really wanted to check off. I think a world record is a huge thing for me that I've always dreamed about. So it's something that I'm constantly working towards. But I think overall, I'm honestly just trying to really enjoy what I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, that can look like a million different ways. I think being successful is part of that. Like that is a big thing for me, obviously, is going up there and getting medals it's so fun to do that and to do that with people on team canada and with just team canada in general so i mean i think just enjoying what i'm doing making sure that i'm going to these meets and i'm actually being present i think for a long time i was i kind of lost that presence that i had i would just kind of show up and do what i had to do and then leave and there's probably a million interviews of me out there being like yeah i don't really leave the hotel I kind of just do what I need to do and I go home you know whereas now I'm I really just want to be able to go to these places and be really present and where I am because it's not something I'm going to get to experience my whole life and um, I want to just be able to embrace the process that's so neat you have such a healthy outlook on that and the evolution is so <laughs> neat um, to be able to watch and you know we've had such a privilege of being able to speak to you over the years but part of me is so glad that i'm about to ask this next question to like 2023 <laughs> penny where you know there's such a balance and i think that's something that's lost a lot in sports is there's sort of okay there's an intensity to it and there's okay what's the next the next barrier to break the next one to break and that's a great focus to have but i think being present and grateful for you know all of the opportunities you'll have to travel around the world or the opportunities you have to connect and inspire so many mm -hmm. people throughout the country even if you don't see yourself as that public figure I, I think that's so so special to have so I'm wondering we have a lot of young athletes that follow the publication and also just a lot of people who are fans of the sport and are you know entering their own careers that perhaps aren't in an athletic field I'm wondering for a young person who is really really passionate about a path and wants to find excellence in a, in a similar sense that you have, what advice would you give? Um, I think it would be, I have like a few pieces of advice, but I think like, like number one is like, make sure you're actually enjoying what you want to do. Cause I've had a lot of parents come up to me before and um, even kids come up to me before being like, Oh, my kid's not really enjoying it. Like, how do I make them, be better at it and I'm like well 
if they're not enjoying it, they don't want to be better at it. So like, just let them find something they want to do. Or like, even with kids, I'm like, do something you want to do. Don't do something just because you told you have to do it. Um, make sure you're enjoying it. I think also just realize that there is work you have to put in. Um, nothing comes easy. You have to put in the work and you have to be ready for that. Um, I've met so many people before who like tell me I want to do X, Y, and Z things. And then I never see them do anything to get there and never try and push the envelope a little bit more because if you're not doing something, someone else out there is probably doing it. So they're probably working towards the goal that you want more than you are. So just know that you have to put in that work and um, that sacrifices have to be made. Growing up, my dad used to always say, like, because I remember I used to always want to go out with my friends on the weekend or I wanted to hang out with my friends after practice in high school or after school in high school. Um, and my dad would always just be like, sacrifices, Benny. Like, if you want to be the best, there's sacrifices you have to make. So um, you have to realize there are sacrifices. You can't go out every night of the week. You can't. You might not be able to see your friends after school. Um, but if it's something that you really want, then at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. And lastly, take those supplements. Do the cold plunge. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Benny, thank you so much for honestly such an illuminating conversation. The balance that you strike between, you know, being happy and having a sense of self and and prioritizing performance. It's really so admirable. I think a lot of people, not just in sport, not just in athletics, can take so much from it. Um, so we really, really appreciate your time as always. No, thank you so much. This was so fun. <laughs> Amazing. And best of luck uh, this year. And, and we'll be watching and cheering for you from afar. Awesome. Yay. I can't wait. Awesome. <laughs> Cheers. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for our conversation with Penny Alexiak. That was, again, such a treat to be able to catch up with her, to be able to see how she's changed over the years and evolved in terms of self-care, in terms of performance and rehab, so many takeaways. And I'm curious, again, we have so many fascinating guests coming up that I don't quite want to reveal yet. So I'll ask you, Ben, retrospectively, if you could look back on our first 10 episodes that we did, there are so many overlaps between how people approach excellence. But again, the whole podcast sort of the idea behind is that everyone has their own unique ways of finding the recipe that's right for them. So I'm wondering, listening to Penny's episode, if someone really enjoyed this conversation, what one previous episode might you recommend for them? Uh, for me, I would say Jerome Blake. Mm. And that's because, again, if you like this conversation with Penny and you liked hearing about her preparation and her, her post uh, routines and, and all the Olympic processes and stuff like that, then mm. you would definitely enjoy the Jerome Blake conversation because mm. it's a similar sort of concept with a spin. And, and it just fascinates me that every athlete has their own process for everything that they're involved with, whether it's training, whether it's recovery, where it's, you know, getting ready for an event. And especially with Jerome in sprinting, it's mm. such a niche sort of sport mm -hmm. where you have to be locked in and you have to be ready and you have to be ready to go and explode from zero to a hundred. Yeah. So it's very interesting hearing the sort of processes that he goes through compared to Penny. So I would definitely go with Jerome Blake. Yeah. And you alluded to it there too. I, I love, I love Jerome so much. I'm like 
a legitimate fan of his because he has such a sort of abstract go with the flow mindset as well that we've touched on with such a a sport that you would think is very binary in terms Mm -hmm. of look you're running for hopefully about 10 seconds at a time and it's who comes down it comes down to who is the most athletic and in that episode again he touches on no so much of it is about mindset I think that's a great overlap with Penny I think for me I would urge people to go check out our Demi Chakas episode, which again, she she doesn't, I, this is why I think it's such a gem. She yeah. doesn't have the biggest following because she had a whole life before she was a professional athlete. She was a amateur triathlete and a hardcore one as well, like really, really successful. She's had a full-on career before she decided to take this crazy leap of faith and say, <laughs> I want to be a race car driver, which yeah. seems like such a, a pipe dream to most, oh, and yeah. yet she made it happen. She's driving for Mercedes this year, and there are overlaps with her story with Penny. But again, there's that really neat contrast of women in sports where Penny is anything but a late bloomer, right? And we just <laughs> touched on that. And I'm not saying Demi is, but she is in the sense of being a driver. She yeah. can't, She entered the realm late, and she's really, really found her footing. Um, so again, I would recommend that People go back and listen to all 10, a little biased, but (laughs) those two are are really so insightful if you enjoyed this conversation. But all that to say, stay tuned for future episodes that we're so, so excited for. And again, if you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe. Please give us a five-star rating. Please check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Glory Sports. Producer Ben puts together such great videos each week in his own series. We also do a lot of daily photography content, articles going up on the site, video content constantly. So if you're a fan of Canadian sports or sports excellence in general, we have something for you. Uh, But in the meantime, stay tuned on Detours, a Glory Sports podcast. And thanks so much for tuning in.